Chapter Three B of the Everyday Life of Abraham Lincoln. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Everyday Life of Abraham Lincoln by Francis Fisher Brown. Chapter Three B. Again in the Illinois Legislature, the Long Nine, Lincoln on his way to the Capitol, his ambition in 1836, first meeting with Douglas. Removal of the Illinois Capitol, one of Lincoln's early speeches, pro-slavery sentiment in Illinois, Lincoln's opposition to slavery, contest with General Ewing, Lincoln lays out a town, the title Honest Abe. When Lincoln took his seat in the first session of the new legislature at Vandalia, his mind was full of new projects. His real public service was now about to begin, and having spent his time in the previous legislature mainly as an observer and listener, he was determined during this session to identify himself conspicuously with the liberal progressive legislation, dreaming of a fame far different from that he actually obtained as an anti-slavery leader. As he remarked to his friend Speed, he hoped to obtain the great distinction of being called the DeWitt Clinton of Illinois. It was at a special session of this legislature that Lincoln first saw Stephen A. Douglas, his great political antagonist of the future, whom he describes as the least man he ever saw. Douglas had come into the state from Vermont only the previous year, and having studied law for several months considered himself eminently qualified to be state's attorney for the district in which he lived. General Linder says of the two men at this time, I here had an opportunity, better than any I had previously possessed, of measuring the intellectual stature of Abraham Lincoln. He was then about twenty-seven years old, my own age. Douglas was four years our junior. Consequently he could not have been over twenty-three years old. Yet he was a very ready and expert debater, even at that early period of his life. He and Lincoln were very frequently pitted against each other, being of different politics they both commanded marked attention and respect. A notable measure effected by the Long Nine during this session of the legislature was the removal of the state capital from Vandalia to Springfield. It was accomplished by dint of shrewd and persistent management, in which Lincoln was a leading spirit. Mr. Robert L. Wilson, one of his colleagues, says, When our bill to all appearance was dead beyond resuscitation, and our friends could see no hope, Lincoln never for a moment despaired. Collecting his colleagues in his room for consultation, his practical common sense, his thorough knowledge of human nature, made him an overmatch for his compeers, and for any man I have ever known. Lincoln's reputation as an orator was gradually extending beyond the circle of his friends and constituents. He was gaining notice as a ready and forcible speaker, with shrewd and sensible ideas which he expressed with striking originality and independence. He was invited to address the Young Men's Lyceum at Springfield, January 27, 1837, and read a carefully prepared paper on The Perpetuation of Our Political Institutions, which was afterwards published in the Springfield Weekly Journal. The address was crude and strained in style but the feeling pervading it was fervent and honest, and its patriotic sentiment and sound reflection made it effective for the occasion. A few paragraphs culled from this paper 
some of them containing remarkable prophetic passages, afford a clue to the stage of intellectual development which Lincoln had reached at the age of twenty-seven, and an interesting contrast with the terser style of his later years. In the great journal of things happening under the sun, we, the American people, find our account running under date of the nineteenth century of the Christian era. We find ourselves in the peaceful possession of the fairest portion of the earth as regards extent of territory, fertility of soil, and salubrity of climate. We find ourselves under the government of a system of political institutions conducing more essentially to the ends of civil and religious liberty than any of which the history of former times tells us. We, when mounting the stage of existence, found ourselves the legal inheritors of these fundamental blessings. We toiled not in the acquisition or establishment of them. They are a legacy, bequeathed us by a once hardy, brave, and patriotic, but now lamented and departed race of ancestors. Theirs was the task, and nobly they performed it, to possess themselves, and through themselves us of this goodly land, and to uprear upon its hills and valleys a political edifice of liberty and equal rights. Tis ours only to transmit these, the former unprofaned by the foot of an invader, the latter undecayed by the lapse of time, and untorn by usurpation, to the latest generation that fate shall permit the world to know. This task, gratitude to our fathers, justice to ourselves, duty to posterity, all imperatively require us faithfully to perform. How, then, shall we perform it? At what point shall we expect the approach of danger? Shall we expect some transatlantic military giant to step the ocean and crush us at a blow? Never! All the armies of Europe, Asia, and Africa combined with all the treasure of the earth, our own excepted, in their military chest, with a Bonaparte for a commander, could not, by force, take a drink from the Ohio, or make a track on the Blue Ridge, in a trial of a thousand years. At what point, then, is the approach of danger to be expected? I answer, if it ever reach us, it must spring up amongst ourselves. It cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men we must live through all time, or die by suicide. I hope I am not over-wary. But, if I am not, there is even now something of ill omen amongst us. I mean the increasing disregard for law which pervades the country the growing disposition to substitute the wild and furious passions in lieu of the sober judgment of the courts, and the worse-than-savage mobs for the executive ministers of justice. This disposition is awfully fearful in any community, and that it now exists in ours, though grating to our feelings, to admit it, it would be a violation of truth and an insult to our intelligence to deny. Accounts of outrages committed by mobs form the everyday news of the times. They have pervaded the country from New England to Louisiana. They are neither peculiar to the eternal snows of the former, nor the burning sun of the latter. They are not the creature of climate, neither are they confined to the slaveholding or non-slaveholding states, 
alike they spring up among the pleasure-hunting masters of southern slaves and the order-loving citizens of the land of steady habits whatever their course may be it is common to the whole country here then is one point at which danger may be expected the question recurs how shall we fortify against it the answer is simple let every american every lover of liberty every well-wisher to his posterity swear by the blood of the revolution never to violate in the least particular the laws of the country and never to tolerate their violation by others as the patriots of seventy six did to the support of the declaration of independence so to the support of the constitution and the laws let every american pledge his life his property and his sacred honor let every man remember that to violate the law is to trample on the blood of his father and to tear the charter of his own and his children's liberty let reverence for the laws be breathed by every american mother to the lisping babe that prattles on her lap let it be taught in schools in seminaries and in colleges let it be written in primers spelling-books and in almanacs let it be preached from the pulpit proclaimed in legislative halls and enforced in courts of justice and in short let it become the political religion of the nation during the years of lincoln's service in the illinois legislature the democratic party was strongly dominant throughout the state the feeling on the subject of slavery was decidedly in sympathy with the south a large percentage of the settlers in the southern and middle portions of illinois were from states in which slave labor was maintained and although the determination not to permit the institution to obtain a foothold in the new commonwealth was general the people were opposed to any action which should affect its condition where it was already established during the sessions of eighteen thirty six to seven resolutions of an extreme pro-slavery character were carried through the legislature by the democratic party aiming to prevent the abolitionists from obtaining a foothold in the state lincoln could not conscientiously support the resolutions nor hold his peace concerning them he did not shrink from the issue but at the hazard of losing his political popularity and the gratifying prospects that were opening before him he drew up a protest against the pro-slavery enactment and had it entered upon the journal of the house the state of public opinion in illinois at that time may be judged by the fact that of the hundred representatives in the house only one had the courage to sign the protest with him lincoln's protest was as follows march third eighteen thirty seven the following protest presented to the house was read and ordered to be spread on the journals to wit resolutions upon the subject of domestic slavery having passed both branches of the general assembly at its present session the undersigned hereby protest against the passage of the same they believe that the institution of slavery is founded on both injustice and bad policy but that the promulgation of abolition doctrines tends rather to increase than abate its evils they believe that the congress of the united states has no power under the constitution to interfere with the institution of slavery in the different states they believe that the congress of the united states has the power under the constitution to abolish slavery in the district of columbia but that the power ought not to be exercised unless at the request of the people of the district. 
The difference between these opinions and those contained in the said resolutions is their reason for entering this protest. Signed, Dan Stone, A. Lincoln, Representatives from the County of Sangamon. The great financial panic which swept over the country in 1837 rendered expedient an extra session of the legislature, which was called together in July. General Lee D. Ewing had been elected to this session from Fayette County for the express purpose of repealing the law removing the capital from Vandalia to Springfield. General Ewing was, says Mr. Linder, a man of considerable notoriety, popularity, and talents. He had been a member of Congress from Illinois, and had filled various state offices in his time. He was a man of elegant manners, great personal courage, and would grace either the salons of fashion or the Senate chamber at Washington. The legislature opened its special session—I was there as a spectator—and General Ewing sounded the tocsin of war. He said that the arrogance of Springfield, its presumption in claiming the seat of government, was not to be endured, that the law had been passed by chicanery and trickery, that the Springfield delegation had sold out to the internal improvement men, and had promised their support to every measure that would gain them a vote to the law removing the seat of government. He said many other things, cutting and sarcastic. Lincoln was chosen by his colleagues to reply to Ewing. And I want to say here that this was the first time that I began to conceive a very high opinion of the talents and personal courage of Abraham Lincoln. He retorted upon Ewing with great severity, denouncing his insinuations imputing corruption to him and his colleagues, and paying back with usury all that Ewing had said when everybody thought and believed that he was digging his own grave. For it was known that Ewing would not quietly pocket any insinuations that would degrade him personally. I recollect his reply to Lincoln well. After addressing the speaker, he turned to the Sangamon delegation, who all sat in the same portion of the House, and said, "'Gentlemen, have you no other champion than this coarse and vulgar fellow to bring into the lists against me?' Do you suppose that I will condescend to break a lance with your low and obscure colleague?" We were all very much alarmed for fear there would be a personal conflict between Ewing and Lincoln. It was confidently believed that a challenge must pass between them. But friends on both sides took the matter in hand, and it was settled without anything serious growing out of it. When the legislative session ended, in February 1837, Lincoln returned to a job of surveying which he had begun a year before at Petersburg, near his old home at Salem. He spent a month or two at Petersburg, completing the surveying and planning of the town. That his work was well and satisfactorily done is attested by many, among them by Mr. John Bennett, who lived in Petersburg at the time. "'My earliest acquaintance with Lincoln,' says Mr. Bennett, began on his return from Vandalia, where he had spent the winter as a member of the legislature from Sangamon County. Lincoln spent most of the month of March in Petersburg, finishing up the survey and planning of the town he had commenced the year before. I was a great deal in his company, and formed a high estimate of his worth and social qualities, which was strengthened by many years of subsequent social intercourse and business transactions, finding him always strictly honest. In fact, he was now generally spoken of in this region as Honest Abe after Menard County was formed out of a portion of Sangamon County, and the county seat established at Petersburg, 
Mr. Lincoln was a regular attendant at the courts. I was then keeping a hotel, and he was one of my regular customers. Here he met many of his old cronies of his early days at Salem, and they spent the most of the nights in telling stories or spinning long yarns, of which Mr. Lincoln was particularly fond. End of chapter 3b Recording by Bill Borst